Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. Today's episode is a conversation with Sophie Amiak, WTA, World Feed, and other outlets, analyst, commentator, big fan of her work, how she talks the game, how she thinks the game, worked with her at the U.S. Open, uh, which is how we, uh, we first met. She's also a former Top 100 Pro, Australian Open quarter finalist in both singles and doubles. And uh, I wanted to, one, talk about Charleston, the final a little bit, because uh, it was a lot more interesting than anything that happened on the ATP side of things last week, in my opinion. But also, it's been such a interesting time on the WTA Tour. The last month with Barty's retirement, Sviantec's rise, three straight Masters, 1,000 titles, the way some of the players who had great 2021s have struggled at the onset of 2022 and also just so much young rising talent. So it's a very, very wide ranging WTA focused conversation, starting with the Charleston final, going to Iga Sviantec and beyond. Uh, and I think you are, uh, you're going to enjoy this one. So we will get Sophie after a quick shout out to player court. Player Court is the place to go if you're looking for a local coach, practice partner, or match. The number one reason people quit tennis is because they can't find anyone to play with. And that doesn't make any sense. And I don't want that to happen to you. So I've arranged a 50% discount for you to join the Player Court community at the link below. It'll be in the description, playercourt.com slash gilgross. That is playercourt.com slash gilgross. Without further ado... Here is Sophie Amia. Welcome to Monday Match Analysis. Great to see you, and thanks for coming on. It's great to see you too, and yeah, I'm very happy to be on your show, your show. Love it. <laughs> You've forgiven me for, for the salad incident, I think. I'm not sure about that. Yes, I, it's just, you just have to bring it back, right? Bring it back yeah. into my memory. Yes, yeah, somebody, uh, <laughs> if there was, a, you know, the stories that this salad disappeared, that was, that I was really, really, I was dying for. And I opened the fridge and it's gone. And I'm like, there's only one person who could have taken that. And we all pointed the fingers towards you. And you're like, it wasn't me. I'm like, okay, all right. We still don't know who it was. <laughs> still a mystery. So... I want to start start with it open ended. We have you know Benchich and Jabur Charleston final. Always a fantastic event. They have a great field, especially uh, for a five hundred, and everybody seems to love it. Um, what did you think made the difference in that match um, in a three set win for Belinda Benchich? Look, I think Belinda Benchich tennis is um, definitely resurfacing in the way that the way that she played uh, at the Olympics. Uh, I think taking the ball so early, uh, the open stance backhand, the open stance forehand, I think the service clicking, the movement, I think physically she's uh, probably uh, in the best shape right now. And that showed really during, uh, you know, I would say during the clay courts in Charleston for the first tournament, she had, you know, pretty much two or three days only on clay. Uh, which when she was interviewed, she said, you know, maybe that's the way to go. It's not to think too much and just go straight from heart to clay. Uh, normally, it takes a little time for everybody to get used to. Um, but apparently, she was just dominating. I love the return of serve. The return of serve down the line is uh, is special. And, you know, I keep, I think people are probably tired of hearing me commentating because I, I repeat myself a lot. I said, listen, down the line return, further point away from the server. Just remember that as a straight line. Um, it is setting up so many points for her, the way that she's returning. And, 
you know, we talk about the return, but the return is the dominating factor, I think, for success right now. Shiantek being one of them. I mean, we can go on and on and talk about a return serve and the percentage of point that she wins on the second serve, especially. So I think it was that. I think Jobert to me was a little flat. Um, in the first set, she was uh, down to one, had was broken in a long game. I mean, I, I thought for me, she was, she started the match really well. I love the way that she started the match, but she was herself trying to be really close to the, to the line and uh, really trying to take time away from, you know, uh, Benchich who herself is her game to be really close to the line, take the ball early. Uh, she, she was giving her a little bit of that medicine, but then she started to retract back a little further from that line and, Things changed, the momentum, and just didn't feel like Jaber was um, excited, as excited as I thought she could be to be in the final. Or maybe she was, but just wasn't her day physically. And then, you know, kind of put things together to get back into a match. Yeah, Jaber spent a lot of the match frustrated. And then uh, I felt like Benchich wasn't so happy with the level that she was bringing for a lot of the match. Her forehand kind of went off a little bit in the second set but kind of yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like everywhere it's like whoa where is that but that is where you know i think the forehand is really where the weakest part the weakest link of of uh of benchich so i mean good on jabert to start really creating opportunities because she was not in a match yeah it should have been straight sets really i mean I there agree. were a couple of routine forehands that benchich couldn't execute on and it would have been straight sets but it goes to a third and uh, I think the fitness is the biggest thing that stands out to me because it felt like it felt like Benchich was the player more willing to stay solid and move into the corners and Jabur a little bit edgy. And it, it, whenever she was under pressure from a movement standpoint, it felt like she couldn't stay in the rallies and she had to dictate. Um, Look, I love, I love all Jabur. I think she is a phenomenal player and it's so good to see that since, you know, Vardy is no more on the WTA tour to, you know, the Hologic WTA tour to find out that there's a player who has that sense of touch and the slice and, you know, a little bit of variety uh, in the, in the women's game. So I love her to death. I love her tennis. I really do think, and I've said that for the last couple of years, I really do think that, she could get better physically um, and it's not much it's just uh, it's just for her to be uh, quicker on the court um, I think that would enable her to also get herself set up better for shots and not only that to go to distance and you know not be maybe tired during the match I mean she's in great shape already I mean you're not in the top 10 without being in great shape but I really do think that she is lacking on some areas and she could be better. And that is to me the difference, like you mentioned exactly with Benchish. I mean, you look at Benchish, she's played doubles, not only there, but in the tournament preceding that tournament in Indian Wells. Uh, of course, didn't play very well in Indian Wells, had a ton of time to, uh, to practice. Um, but she played doubles in Charleston, uh, got to the semis, a couple of rounds of doubles. She said it helped tremendously because, again, you're going from hard to clay. You want to play a lot of matches. So uh, I think that being in better shape helps you mentally also because you know you can last. Yeah, absolutely. And in the shot selection, even with Jabur, maybe can add a little bit more margin if she feels like she can trust her legs a little bit more. 
I think uh, that was well said. And you see it so often that those last couple percentage points of improvement are available by way of some extra fitness. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. And for Benchich, it's now, you know, time to kind of play in her least favorite time of the year, the clay. And the question is, okay, well, she's just won Charleston. It's her first clay court title. Can she carry it over now? My question is, it's it's green clay. Is I mean, is that at all the same? I mean, we know that there are going to be some differences, but how much stock do you put in what a player is able to do on the green clay when thinking about what they might be able to do on the red? Yeah, I relate the green clay of Charleston with the indoor clay of Stuttgart almost. You know, it's like uh, the tournament that is going to be played in Europe, which is indoor. It's faster, there's no doubt. Uh, it's faster than the red clay uh, playing outdoor, you know, at in Madrid. And Madrid being a little bit faster because it's in high altitudes, the ball flies. Um, but, you know, when you get to Rome, Rome is really what reflects the French Open. And Roland Garros is, has his, his own you know, clay, weather, you know, everything together, it's definitely not probably what Benchich loves the most, uh, especially players who like to take the ball so early off, you know, off the bounce, don't have as much topspin on the ball. I think it's going to be tougher uh, for her. But uh, listen, we've seen Ostapenko you know, winning the French and uh, topspin was not anything in our book. So if she takes the ball early enough and you have that much power that's one thing not sure if the power is you know quite similar it's for sure not quite similar to Ostapenko yeah it's it's more of right it's more about redirection right, right. and and taking time away so I agree with you I think I, I don't think it's necessarily going to carry over her other semifinal is in Madrid the other quick clay court so uh, my thing with with Benchich is, is Wimbledon, and I'm surprised she hasn't made it past round four. And uh, I feel like she should with her with her game style. So maybe that's coming up. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would think that, you know, the room for progression on that surface is there. She has the game to do it, uh, especially with the return of serve. I mean, it's huge the way she's returning. I, you know, I really love it. Um, so, yeah, I think grass is going to be more apropos for a, for a game. Uh, we'll see, you know. All right. Well, you were at Indian Wells in Miami, and the story of March was Iga Sviantek announcing herself as a dominant champion. You could go back before that. She won Doha, back to back to back Masters 1000 titles. What's the biggest difference between this year, Iga, and last year, Iga? Because last year, Iga was good, made the round of 16 at, at all four slams. She uh, she broke into the top 10, but now 20 years old, 2022, it's just jumped up to a whole nother level. What do you think is, are, were the ingredients for that? I think the ingredients are mastering the little things around our tennis. Um, and you, you know, when you hear and, and uh, listen to what our, our sports psychologist, Daria Abramovich, you know, talks about, uh, is about approaching um, matches, approaching tournament, uh, rigorously have very good hygiene as far as what you eat, when you eat. Uh, it gets so boring after a while because she's eating the exact same thing. And uh, I don't know if you saw some of the footage at the end of the tournament when she won, uh, when she won Miami, she was served on, as she's recovering on the bike, she was served a pizza. 
you know, because, and she was like, you, you see her face go, no. <laughs> yeah. really have that that was followed by ribs that night i think and that is something that you know for i think the last three weeks or four weeks she had not even touched i mean so it's i think it's all those little things uh i think mentally um the belief the confidence obviously built up by the amount of matches that she wants she's at 17 right now in a row um and also really the the way that she's realistically looking at her tennis, knowing that it was really for her in three days to be become number one from number two, which is what she reached after in Indian Wells. She became number number two player in the world. And now all of a sudden she's propulsed, you know, to number one because of Barty uh, retiring from the, from the tour. She knows that it's a coincidence. It's not like, Oh, you know, it, I, I just, happened to become number one by virtue of my results yes in a way but she's very aware that it would have taken probably a little bit longer time if Barty was to continue so I like the way that you know her mind is thinking I think that the way that she's also endorsing the pressure of all of a sudden you know that one match saying you win the match you're number one in the world <laughs> it was like whoa at 20 you know it's pretty amazing um uh and she says that she said you know i don't know what's the future i mean i know that at some point something's gonna happen you know i don't know how i'm gonna react i've never been in that situation all i know is i'm preparing myself the best possible way to work it psychologically to be able to keep performing to that level but um so she's i think that and also switching with with thomas you know Th thomas our, our new coach Bikrovsky, who used to be coaching uh Agnieszka Radvanska, which i think is a great combination a great association um i mean i mean in all she has put every single thing and department together and then you have to on a daily basis you have to do the work and, uh, you know, Daya Abramovich said, even on her worst day, when she talks about ego, okay, she's open-minded and able to process things, even on her worst day playing tennis, working out. So you know that you have to have a certain kind of player. And Barty was the same, very open player, very, you know, open-minded. Um, I think it takes that kind of mindset to reach that level. I mean, I, I would never know, obviously, because I've never been to that level, but I can only imagine what it takes, you know, to be to that number one, you know, as the 28th player in the world to ever get there. So I think that's a combination of all this. Yeah. But for those watching who may not know, 15 year pro career, top 100 player, Sophie Amiak. So she's being, I mean, not to Iga's level, but still an amazing world-class level. Uh, <laughs> Um, <laughs> of course, but on hygiene, by the way, did you see her ask for room temperature water? Yeah, of course. You're, you're yep. a big proponent, right? No she's cold not, water. She's not the only one. It's just, they all, they're starting to all think that, you know, cold is not that great for, especially European. You have to remember that in Europe, right? we do not, I'm French originally, but for some of the viewers who don't know, um, we don't drink anything colder than room temperature because it's actually, uh, not very good for your, your your body to just have this cold you know whatever liquid coming through so that's something that european in america 
more ice is better. <laughs> right. That, that's <laughs> why I bring it up. Cause I, I remember, I remember yeah. at the open, the, uh, yeah. the, the water, it was not, it, yes, you were a, a proponent of the, of the non cold drinks. Um, now, you know, I do I have, like a cold beer though. Well, I, right. <laughs> I like an iced coffee at the open. I, but yeah, and a beer and a beer is okay. Um, <laughs> Yeah. What about, what about technically, do you feel, do you feel like she's more aggressive now or is that a little bit overblown? Was she always kind of flattening it out and, and taking it early because she said that a little bit. And I think a lot of people have talked about that. Um, so I, do, do you think that that is a little bit, do you think that's on point or do you think that's a little bit uh, overblown? No, I mean, I think that she was aggressive when she won the French Open. Listen, everybody was looking at how quickly and how early she was taking the ball, especially with, you know, the amount of, especially, I mean, she takes the back end so early. I mean, it's a very quick, um, you know, or preparation or, or it takes it so early and and flatten that one out. The forehand's got a lot more topspin um, just because of her grip situation that is very, very overpronounced. Um, you know, Western grip, you know, so that is a lot. But what I'm seeing is the mentality is the shot selection, the mentality, the movement, the movement is ridiculous. I think her and Alcaraz are like mm -hmm. blowing my mind away as far as movement. I have never thought that any human being could be that quick, that fast to react, that quick to, you know, how about a three, a 180 when she turns around and gets the, the you know the ball back it's just crazy how quick she is when you play behind her how she's able to um you know go with the outside foot to that ball a lot of that is to me work definitely because i mean yeah you can be quick but <laughs> this is way over uh, you know anything that i could even think about i've never seen anybody that quick even even serena in her best days you know you know in the 2015 never that quick uh very quick on the first step maybe but never that quick to come back and forth uh when you're wrong footed the mm -hmm. only thing that i could see that i feel a game can get better is one i think that she could develop a little more of a of a slice back in and use that here and there because she has a drop shot and she does it you know letting go that left hand and hitting the drop shot so she knows and has feel for that i wouldn't mind seeing that on clay a little bit um and the first serve i think the first i think the technique on the serve is not uh to par for mm -hmm. for her level i mean and she's number one in the world hello you know i mean here i am saying you know, but the good thing is, I think there is room for progression. I think the serve needs to be addressed. I don't like the technique when she comes down, opens a little bit the racket face somehow. It looks awkward. And if you see the serve, the toss is sometimes too much to the left. She falls left. The second serve kick is beautiful because she gets a racket there and the toss being to the left. She loves to go low to high with that um, racket head. Um, and that's probably one of the best with... Vardy at the time um mm -hmm. but i i think that's you know for the rest and there's nothing to say the way that she's able to take the ball early the cross courts back and short the deep forehand the depth that she had throughout these tournaments um I, i'm really amazed that she was able to uh, sustain that kind of game mentally at 20 and physically i mean 
exceptional, really. Pretty incredible. Easy to forget because of how quickly she burst onto the scene a couple of years ago that she's only 20. Uh, mm-hmm. un- unbelievable. And uh, I, I, I like that you highlighted some of the areas that that you think she could improve. I felt like Danielle Collins at, at the Australian Open kind of picked on her serve a little bit. And that yeah. was one of the main keys in her last high profile loss. Uh, but you also uh, mentioned Barty's retirement and that's why March felt so interesting, like a passing of the torch a little bit or a, a changing of the guard, which people have been imagining has happened uh, on the men's side for so for so long. And it, it never happens that everybody imagines sometimes that it happens and it just doesn't. Uh, but here in this case, I think it did actually kind of happen. So now the question becomes, as soon as Sviantec started playing as well as she did in Doha, I was, I was thinking, okay, I want to see her play Barty now, and we're not going to see it. Who is going to be the player or the players who rise up as Sviantec's main rival? And when I say rival, of course, it's not about you know bad blood or, or anything like that. It's just about you know who is going to threaten her um, because at, as of now, and yes, she has much more to accomplish. Um, you know, she's still at one major and all that is true, but at the top, at the moment, it looks like she's going to be a dominant number one to the likes that we haven't really seen outside of Barty and Serena in recent history. Who's going to rise up and challenge her? Yeah. See, I think that she was very dominant in those last three tournaments, no doubt. I don't believe that she's going to be, I don't know. I could be totally wrong, but I don't believe, I think that the rivalry is all there. I don't okay. think there's one player. I think there's many. I want to see how she plays against, a, you know, a Barbara Krachikova who's going to use some slice here and there. I want to see how she deals with, you know, the slices from some of the players to the forehand, because that to me is something that's going to be a difficult one to, uh, to play all the time to that level. Um, that's probably, and I want to see who's going to attack that serve a little more. Who's going to be a little more aggressive on the even on the first serve? Because the second serve is, is a most difficult one. So rivalry, I don't know if there's going to be ever in women's tennis, the rivalry that we've seen really in the era when I played with the Martina and Chris. I think that's gone. It's the, the depth of women's tennis is, is way too, too big and too grand to have this rivalry. Um, I mean, I'd love to see an Osaka and a Shviantek, you know, rivalry would be, would be nice, but... I actually really enjoyed the depth of women's tennis and, and just pretty much throwing darts, you know, into draws to find out who's going to win this one and who's going to win that one. Um, I don't think anybody could have predicted that Shiantek was going to win Doha in Wells of Miami. And if somebody did, then I want to congratulate them. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so either. Right. So I don't think that per se it's going to be a rivalry, but I think they all, look, look they all... I think each and every one of them in the top 10, top 12. I mean, think about Ostapenko, the way she's been playing. I mean, she's won the French. She's She knows how to win on clay. Um, I think mean, Krejcikova last year was incredible. I mean, saved match points against Maria Sakari in the semifinals. Sakari's the number one. You know, she's tough consistent to talk about fitness and movement. Um, cultivate Collins. Jabir, let's see that slice with Jabir on clay. I mean, Jabir was very close also to go even deeper at the French last year. Um, 
yeah, I mean, that's what's fun to me. So, so you're not basically, you're not ready to, to count out the field against Iga on clay at all. On clay, on hard, on anything. I really am not. I mean, we, we missed some big name, you know, Krejcikova not playing. Bedosa. Um, and Bedosa, well, Bedosa is incredible too on, on, on all surfaces. Um, you know, I, I really do think that for her to achieve what she's achieved with, with the competition that there is, pretty incredible. But again, we're missing Krejcikova in the mix, which I would love to see back, you know, after her elbow problem. I hope that she's going to be able to defend her title. And uh, Gabriela Muguruza, if she finds, again, a way towards winning, um, same thing with Sabalenka. I mean, those are players who could take time away from somebody like Igash Riantek. It's going to be more difficult to get organized. Not sure on clay, though. On clay, I'm not sure. That, <laughs> Although Muguruza. That, I think that's the question, Sophie, because she does all this on hard court, and now she goes to her favorite surface. Yeah. It's kind of like, what, <laughs> what's happening here? Uh, but, well, what but, is her favorite surface? Because she won, she won a major on clay. That's her favorite surface, or she just achieved what nobody thought she could achieve. So you know, I, I understand right. the majors are going to be more important and say, well, that's her favorite surface because she won on clay and Rome last year. Yeah, but I mean, look what she did here. I mean, okay, so if she wins the U.S. Open. Which one is her favorite surface now? Right. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, you know. <laughs> right. So the jury's still out. It's still very early, early in her career. And I think like the same thing happened with Barty, you know, when she won her first major was at the French Open. Everybody thought it was Wimbledon and except, you know, probably her best friend uh, who said to her, I always thought that the front, the first major you would win would be on, on clay. Everybody thought it was going to be Wimbledon. It was going to be on something faster, um, you know, but then again, everybody was wrong. So I think if you're going to be number one and at number one ranking today, you have to be able, obviously, in the top 10 to play on everything and to be almost as good on every surface. And you've given uh, Krejcikova her due, which I like. I like that because sometimes I think she hasn't gotten the the hype and the the respect from the masses that I think she has deserved for her tremendous play last year. So, yeah, hopefully she comes back strong. Muguruza and Sabalenka, two players who, if we predicted ourselves having this conversation last year, you yeah. think that we'd be talking <laughs> about them as the main contenders who are having, you know, the tremendous 2022s that they appeared set up to have. And it just hasn't happened. Where's your panic level on, mm -hmm. on both of those players? Well, I mean, I don't think anybody should be panicking at the level that they still are. Okay. I mean, Muguruza right. is number 10, Sabalenka is number four. I mean, let's not go to panic. I, I think it's more of, you know, for me, Muguruza has always been somebody that I looked at saying, I, I just wish she was happier when she was playing tennis. I feel like um, she gets into this um, really struggle in her inner self. She, she, I mean, does she look happy to you? I mean, not that you have to be happy, Larry. You know, no, but, it's a it's a great point. But what what did you do? You think Guadalajara? was the exception where she looked like she was enjoying herself a little bit more there because I felt like that might've been the reason she played so well. I agree. She was much more relaxed maybe because, you know, the Spanish speaking, you know, nation and felt a little bit more at home. 
but I feel like, you know, the stress that looks on her face when she's playing, you know, it, it just, and I know that's maybe, you know, that's her, but I thought that when she played her best, then she, she seemed to be a little bit happier to me, but I could be wrong. I think that, you know, Conchita Martinez helped that a little bit to relax. Um, but, you know, it's, it's almost to me that the pressure that she's putting on her own self, it's like, how big is that pressure? How much can you take that pressure and continue playing to the level you're playing? Or are you going to have to have to try to, you know, almost program yourself to not put that much pressure on yourself? Because there's only one way for Bertha and the only way for her is to win. And I understand that you shouldn't accept losing. But there is a way of you putting the pressure on yourself that is, I mean, she looks, she stresses me out when I watch her play. Yeah. I'm impressed watching her play. <laughs> Do you think that explains why she's played some of the best tennis in her career when the expectations have been lower and people have forgotten about her? And then she comes back and then usually, you know, in a, she comes into this season and the expectations are high again after mm -hmm. winning the WTA finals and now she's struggled. Well, it looks like that could be the reason. I mean, if you look at the past and if you analyze the past, it, it's exactly that. So maybe it is. Maybe once she gets to that, she just puts too much pressure on herself. Maybe puts her goal too high or, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, but I, I just know that watching her play to me is, is always very stressful because I feel like she's really stressed out and the, the level of enjoyment, which you only playing well because you're having fun. You're not having fun and playing, you know, you, mm -hmm. you, you want to have fun to play well. Let put, let's put it this way and not the, the other way around. I'm playing well, so I'm having fun. That's not the way it works. Um, and I don't feel like she's having fun. <laughs> Even when she's winning, I mean, the smile comes in like, and it's almost like a release. It's like you see your face going, and then it goes, and it's very <laughs> strange. It's yeah. like, like whoa, you know, it's two different persons. So, and for Sabalenka, listen, Sabalenka is the greatest player as well as she's the worst player on court. She's her own enemy because of the style of play. It's one dimensional. There's nothing else. She's not going to have a plan B and not even close to having a plan C. It's A, A, and A. I'm, I am going to hit the ball as hard as I can. Uh, if I have a little bit more topspin today, great, it's going to be in. If not, bye-bye. My serve is the same. I mean, now she's tossing. I, I noticed that her ball toss was even higher than high. I mean, you know, when you're watching it on the monitor, you all, all of a sudden you lose it. You don't see it on the monitor. That's telling you how high that toss is, you know, when the camera is on the uh, other side. Um, so I don't know. I think herself also is, is her biggest challenge is her own self. Um, because there's not really wrong things about her serve. She does have an itch here and there, which she kind of stops and go. But listen, she was one of the best server on tour. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she had the highest level amount of aces, I think, uh, on tour close to Pliskova. So 
I just think, you know, it's got to be a lot mental. And, you know, it's like once once it rained, it pours. And the poor thing has been struggling with that serve. And it was it was horrible to watch, you know, uh, her going under under end serve. You know, it's telling you how troubled you, you are when you just can't execute. It's it's horrible. I want to ask you about Patrick Maradoglu and Simona Halla connecting. Mm-hmm. Um, Serena is going to be on the shelf long enough for that relationship to, to become a thing, at least for a little while until Serena comes back. Uh, so Halep goes from Darren Cahill, who, uh, who left at the start of the year and is now taking a bit of a hiatus in Australia to Patrick Maradoglu. What were your thoughts on, uh, on that move from Halep? Well, I think Halep is smart. You know, she just probably looked at a list of different coaches that were out there and, uh, who could help her the most with the experience that they have. I think Patrick is very experienced, obviously to say the least coach. I think he knows the game. Um, Many people, you know, don't agree. Many people think that he got there just because, you know, his father was rich, but if you actually read his book, uh, you'll understand that, you know, the guy, all he wanted to do was to play tennis when he was young and his father didn't let him. Uh, And, after he knew that he could never be on the pro tour because he was never good enough because he never played, you know, because it was not allowed to um, figured out that, you know what, the next best thing is to be able to coach. And uh, I think he's got great insight. I think Halep is in, always been in search of figuring out, you know, what was best for tennis. I think Darren was one of the best coach for her. Um, it worked. She wanted to go solo, didn't work out very well. She figured that one out very, very fast, which is great. You know, she at mm-hmm. least, you know, was well aware that by uh, not having a coach, she figured, well, this is really complicated and it's not helping my tennis either. Um, so why not? You know, I think Patrick could help her. I, I'm, I'm just sad not to see Serena coming back at some point soon because, and I'd like to know, are you, are you or are you not coming back? Uh, really right. that's the question um i said it last year i thought that was the biggest mistake for her to the clay um i would have completely just get the red clay and go straight to trying to get that title uh at wimbledon where she has the most chances to uh, get the title i thought that clay was probably the least amount of chances out of all four um but you know now she's i don't know i mean I, does she want to play she won't come back. We don't know. Who yeah, knows? It's hard to tell. Yeah. Yeah. I saw Jill Smaller was in, uh, I think it was in Miami. She was watching, who was she watching? Oh, she was watching a match and I saw her in the box and I'm like, oh, cool to see that Jill Smaller was our agent, by the way. Serena's agent. I said, well, okay, she's around. She's watching. Maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe we're going to get Serena back. And I sure hope that Serena is is able to come back and uh, still trying for one more. Um, but it won't be, uh, sorry, it won't be, well, that's, uh, it won't be the French, which right. know, we don't want, we don't want that. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we lost, uh, we lost the picture. I know I'm trying to, to uh, somebody is trying to call me, which I really don't want to talk to. <laughs> I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Uh, where is he? How's that? There All good. Go. You're back. Sorry, sorry about that. Technology. That's okay. 
That's okay. I'm on, I'm on my phone here. That's why. So um, my, my question with Murata glue is how, besides, you know, what he can offer as far as his tennis mind is, are there things you get when you're under his tutelage or, or on his team in terms of the access he has with this major academy that a regular coach on tour, a traveling coach, you, you don't get that? Like, is there extra benefit to, to that? Or is that not really uh, entering the equation there? That's something I wonder about. Well, I mean, I think that definitely the academy in, uh, in Antibes, is Nice is where I'm from, actually. I know exactly. I know that place very well. I used to train there when uh, the coach of Yannick Noah used to um, be there as the head uh, tennis director slash coach. So I know that place very well. And it's a beautiful place. It's fantastic to get ready for Wollongong Gallows for sure. It's, you know, the clay is very similar. The weather is fantastic. So I think it's a plus, plus not only that, you know, they have every single thing like uh, cryotherapy, uh, you know, they have everything there that really to prepare that really would help for her to get in the best possible shape before getting there. Um, and, you know, he's obviously he's French, so he knows the ropes, he knows a lot of things about, you know, being in Paris. Uh, been there, done that, uh, maybe a little bit more than Darren Cahill will know because Darren was a player and is Australian, you know, at least you have that that French connection, so to speak. Um, but, you know, is her agent, you know, Virginia, Virginia Rizzici lives in Paris, so she has all this too. Uh, she's uh, one of the Romanian also who had won the French Open of, in the 70s. So, yeah, I think in all, yeah, it can only be a positive, I think, reinforcement to be at the French Open. I'm, I'm assuming that she's going to be practicing and she's probably in the south of France right now um, at the academy before playing uh, Madrid and Rome, because she's playing Madrid and Rome, I believe. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, it's not a bad, a bad move at all um, to have Patrick there. Uh, again, he, he knows what he's talking about. He, he really understands clay um, very well. He understands sliding very well. Um, different, you know, obviously very different player to coach. You know, we, we're going to opposite style. Uh, we're going to somebody who is more of an aggressive, somewhat baseliner, but really a, someone who really brings so many more balls back whose movement where movement is totally different than what Serena's movement was. Uh, more of a clay player than Serena would ever been. So it's different coaching, but he knows tennis very well. And um, I like the approach. I think he's a very calm and collected also guy. And yeah, I mean, I think it could be very good for and a change, you know, also it's exciting to have a change in, you know, in, in your, in your camp uh, for players. That's why you see them changing more often than it was than before, mm -hmm. because some players need to have kind of like more of a push of energy uh, bursted in their camp. And I think he's, he's, he's going to be good energy and I sure hope to see her play, you know, as well as she's been playing. She's such a great player on clay. Halep hoping to get back into the top 10 before the end of the year. She said that was her goal at the start. So hopefully uh, PMAC can help her do it. I want to end on the future 
a stacked group of teenagers right now <laughs> uh, on the tour. Just, I mean, maybe maybe it's been been this way before, but I, I can't really remember just so many that are exciting between uh, Radu Kanu and Fernandez and Goff and Clara Towson and Wang Xinyu, who's a, a newer one. Uh, yeah. Of those names, is there someone who excites you the most? Or a couple well, who excite you more than the others? Let's not forget uh, Linda Fugertova. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Well, she's... And her, and her sister to come. <laughs> she's like Which some... Yeah, yeah. She's... Uh, she, well, how old? It's, it's, uh, I think she's 16. Yeah. And her sister so is like 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's she's like borderline to break in the top 200 in the world. Um Again, this the Czech school. It's like, where do they find these people? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and they keep, you know, they keep coming. It's like ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, those two could they be better than the Williams sister? Think about this. Fruvertova. So that's yeah. Okay. Yeah. What? I mean, what think for, about for it. Because I think the sister is better. Play, for well, people who just, haven't watched them play, how are they? It's just that young to be just hitting the ball so well and they've been professional since the age of 10 okay since the age of 10 these players and talk about patrick more to glue because they've been practicing and, and working at the, at the academy they have been programming their life as the professionals are programming their life at, at you know after the juniors or in the juniors let's put it this way this started very early it's like it's crazy, but the results are, are also as crazy. Um, so those are the two to watch in the next year, two years. And again, could they be better than the Williams sisters? That's my question, uh, which is a big, big ask, <laughs> tall order uh, to feel. But no, you talked about the under 20, you know, with the, the Shpiante, the, the Coco Goff, the, yeah, Emma Raducanu, we're still, you know, trying to find her ways, I think, as wonderful, as amazing, as extraordinary as as what she's done, it, it's it's like where do you go from there? It's tough. <laughs> it's a tough situation. Failure. It's yeah, horrible. It is. How can you think about like anything else you do? By the way, is going to be a failure unless you win the next major, and you know, and and you don't even have to come from the qualify. <laughs> <laughs> No, they don't have to do it, but you only have seven matches. Come on. <laughs> you know, after winning 10 to win the, the, the tournament, the U.S. Open last year. So I think it's tough for her um, to be, yeah, to be the level at the level that she played and all the stars really aligning. Because in essence, who did she beat at the U.S. Open comparing to Leila Fernandez? You know, um, it was not that she beat all these players. I mean, Leila Fernandez really beat the players, the tops. So yes, she did win the US, but well, it's tough and give her time because she's definitely quality and uh, player. She just needs time and the pressure is, is enormous. Uh, Clara Townsend, unbelievable. I think mm-hmm. that player is gonna, is again, she's looking that she, there's so much room for progression again. Uh, I think physically she can be a lot better. Um, 
Um, I do think, you know, Corey Goff, just also, it's the process, you know, because she also is, can be on and off way too many times. So finding that constant and better, you know, that's where I think it's, it'll happen uh, because she has, she's got game. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy game. Another uh, question. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Goff, Goff, another question of will she, how radically is she willing to change the technique? Because the forehand has been such yeah. a, such an issue for her for a while. And is it, do you well, stick with changed, it? Right. She changed a little bit already. So she's mm -hmm. definitely open-minded to, to change. And I think it's, you know, I think it's working. It just takes time to, you know, take place when you have, you know, this is a sport that really has no time except what happened and all the players could tell you how much they worked on their game during the pandemic and how beneficial it has been for many of them uh, to be able to work on their game where you don't have that. You have three weeks, a month, you're lucky. Who's going to change grip in a month? Good luck. Because <laughs> then you know it's going to take another six or seven or eight months to get in place in the tournament. It's very, very tough. Um, not many sports have that little time off uh, where they can, uh, most of them are really working physically because they want to be at the top, their, you know, top shape to come back and, and go through the process of another eight months, nine months of ruling uh, tournaments. So, yeah, I think Coco is definitely open. I think, um, yeah, I think there are smart people around her. Um, we haven't spoken about Osaka very much. Um, yeah, that's true. Which is amazing <laughs> <laughs> when you think about what happened. And you know what shocked me really? And I don't know if it's true because it's hearing, you know, through the media, but she's the one who said it, you know, is that after Indian Wells and the back hole of Indian Wells where she uh, was so uh, completely output mentally by one person in the stance yep. and when you think about the amount of people who just scream at you know the social media and that she couldn't even function she was so mentally she's so mentally frail and that she mentioned at the end of the tournament that she was going to seek help i'm looking i'm going what you mean to tell me that since the french open last year you've yet to seek help with a psychologist i mean to me if that's the truth, it's just absolutely understand. I can't understand it. I don't understand. I don't comprehend. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Were you shocked, or did you when you heard that, or? You know, I, I don't think I processed it like that. But but now that you are framing it that way, yes. I mean, it. There are people who are trained professionally to uh, to help you mentally. And Osaka, to the extent that she was struggling, uh, for her to not seek out those people who are professionally trained. Uh, to, to help with that kind of thing, uh, go to school for a long time to learn how to do it. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're, I mean, you're I was, right. It's, but it, I'm it's glad surprising. it's happening now. Yeah, because I tell you, I mean, the, the tennis that this this player has, it's 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 beautiful. It's we need her on the tour, but we need her healthy and, and uh, mental health, as we all know at least I know from having it and having gone through depression, it is, it is horrible. It's a, uh, it's a horrifying 
uh, disease and illness. And but it is obviously just like anything else. It's uh, you can get help, and I'm glad that she's seek, seeking help now. I I hope that it's gonna really make her into enjoying tennis again and life. To tell you the truth, because who cares about tennis? You know, it's it's much deeper than that, much more important than that. So. Yeah, we'll we'll see her again in Madrid, I believe. Yeah, and, I think uh, she, Madrid, Rome, and in the French. Yeah, which she right. wants to. She said she wants to really take the clay and learn on the clay because it's definitely not her favorite surface. Um, I think that, yeah, I mean, just the sliding itself. Although she does play, on, she did play on the clay a lot when she was younger in in, in Florida on the hard shore, let's mm -hmm. say. But still, you know, you have to learn and know how to slide. So. Hopefully um, she's mentally well, uh, better and can have fun, really. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, and, and that's probably why I didn't bring her up is because it feels like there's an uncertainty of whether or not she's even going to be competing. Uh, mm -hmm. Besides competing well, competing not well, you just don't know. So uh, yeah, hopefully, because you're right, the tour is a better place with, with her on it. And uh, certainly she would uh, be in the mix as, as one of those people who would be challenging Igish Fiontech's yeah. number one ranking. Yeah. Not to mention, you know, the next major, so like, yeah, again, give me darts and I'll throw them in the air to try to find out who's going to be the, <laughs> the next uh, Roland Ellis French open champion. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> well, we will try as always. Uh, Sophie, it's been, it's been great. To have you on here really enjoyed this conversation and uh, hopefully we can do it again at some point yeah looking forward to it and looking forward to seeing you in the, the u.s open if not before uh, i will be at the french on site i don't know if you're taking the trip no unfortunately not no, well unfortunately then i will see you at the u.s open looking forward to it and uh thank you for having me yes yeah, see you in new york anytime of course thanks our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. Yeah. New New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.